Okay, are we ready for artichoke karaoke? Not yet, but we're going to work our way there. It's Sam Gaspin on You May Contribute a Verse. I'm Josh Munkin, children's lit author, father, science communicator, and podcaster, joined by Brenna Jenneret, children's lit author, mother, avid climber, and outdoors person, and podcaster. This is the podcast You May Contribute a Verse, where we talk to kid lit creators, share their stories, and learn from their journeys. Today's guest is author Samantha Gassman, and we have the distinct privilege of discussing her apparently extreme versatility as an artist, encompassing not only her three very different published or acquired works, but additionally her military background, her motherhood, her singing ability, and her impeccable rhyme sense. I'll leave her other two books to be discussed in our chat, but did want to introduce Dear Rainbow Baby, published as her commercial picture book debut this year. The book is deeply personal to Sam, as you might imagine, given the subject matter of miscarriage, pregnancy loss, and the ways families rebound. It's a beautiful book and a touching way to introduce one of the most difficult topics imaginable to a child. All this is to say that the conversation Brenna and I had with Sam is a real journey as we reconcile and connect the tissue between her nonfiction, her early 22 debut on the educational market, her publication of Dear Rainbow Baby, and Artichoke Karaoke, which you'll have to wait until the end of the episode to hear about, and is well worth the wait for the introduction of our new occasional segment called the Dead Manuscript Society. And as I'm writing this, I realized for the first time that I never got the proper spelling of artichoke, which doesn't really matter for the podcast, but does for the show notes. Sorry if I got it wrong, Sam. Here is Samantha Gaspin's verse. Go ahead. <laughs> did you uh, did you already talk about this, Sam? You're the, you're our first of the second season, or oh, our wow. next season. I did season. not know that. Wow. Yeah, we had to talk You were gonna be. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and then it was my fault for delaying. And then uh, last week, we had a scheduling mix-up with Mark Huffman, who has a very different tone to his work than you do. <laughs> he <laughs> writes about say. mermaids who fart underwater and lots of <laughs> fart bubbles and fart I jokes. Mean, and <laughs> you know, I mean, Dear Rainbow Baby maybe doesn't quite have fart jokes in it, but it's got other stuff to offer. I mean, it right. has babies and babies fart, so right. I mean, there's, there's a definitely there. a connection there. There's a yeah. link. Yeah, <laughs> I would say Dear Rainbow Baby probably does not have what you would call like a humorous subtext to it. <laughs> not exactly. But you know, what's funny is, um, so the next book I have coming out in 24 is completely different. And I'm just, I'm imagining those questions, you know, when I start to do media and publicity for that one, like, so Dear Rainbow Baby, like, you know, kids born after miscarriage, stillbirth, like a pretty serious topic. And then I've got like this book about a racehorse and a goat. And I'm just imagining the questions like, what, how, what did? What? How does that make any sense? Because I needed a break, guys. Like I needed, you know, you need a laugh. You need like a break from that that tension, right? And what's funnier? Yeah, what's funnier than a companion goat named Peanut? (laughs) There isn't. (laughs) That's why people laugh at funerals sometimes, right? It's like too much. You have to have like an outlet. Yeah, totally. That one. I just saw that on your profile, Samantha. That's um, Peanut and Buttercup. Buttercup. Yes. (laughs) I I read that title and I I mean the title already is like kind of funny. Do you want to tell us about that book? 
Oh, sure. Yeah. So uh, Buttercup is a very sassy racehorse and she's quite full of herself and she's <laughs> she thinks that she's all ready for her debut race as a racehorse. And uh, she gets to the track and she realizes that maybe I'm not. And so um, this is actually based on a little bit of fact. So they're, you know, thoroughbred racehorses tend to be a little skittish and they can be um they can be very anxious when they step onto the track and, and race. And so oftentimes, like in real life, um, a lot of their trainers will use what they call companion animals to kind of calm them down and soothe them. And so I love that premise. And I uh, developed this story kind of around that idea where um, her trainer offers this, you know, stinky, smelly, googly eyed goat named Peanut. And she's like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, what is this? (laughs) And so it's about how their friendship develops. And then of course, she, you know, goes on and does the race and I won't spoil it because that would be a shame. But, um, but yeah, so it's about their unlikely friendship as like a very prim and proper sassy goat and this rather stinky fellow named Peanut. I'm going to oh imagine gosh. the ending of the manuscript as the goat stands on the back of the horse and leaps across the finish line and takes. Well, actually it's that the horse does yoga and has the goat on her back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just that would a, be a funny ending. Turn, like abandoning the, uh, abandoning the racing and just doing horse you know yoga. What? You know, I'm, I'm still in revision, so I'm going to actually write that You're down. Writing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, right. You're writing. That's like so on trend though, right? The goat yoga. There's I like, know. I mean, we, so my son. You guys follow I, different trends than I do. <laughs> You're like, what are you talking no, about? No, for real. Goat yoga is like kind of a big deal. So my it son is. goes, my son goes to forest school and there is a family who brings their chickens and they one day were like, let's do chicken yoga with the chickens. And I was oh like, goodness. oh my God, what is happening? And I, w- I was into it. I'm like, yeah, I definitely, I'm like, I want a chicken. I want a chicken and do chicken yoga. So I have this picture of me like doing like, do- like cat dog pose with like a chicken on my back because it actually stayed on your back. It did. These chickens are like super sweet and oh my gosh, they are so what's the word they're just fine with the kids just like handling them and like petting them and like pick it like you know we make sure to give them lots and lots of breaks but like they get picked up and like carried around and they're like petted and they're like props for all of these like imaginative like crazy play scenarios that they come up with including chicken yoga so that's (laughs) really entertaining (laughs) yeah it was it was a great day it was a delight to have the chicken on my back I'm like what is going on right now (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yeah, so Josh, yeah. you're just missing this whole thing. I'm, yeah, because I'm dealing with my own companion animal in the background of the yeah, podcast right. here, Harrison like we do. It, is the goat thing based on real a real goat companion? Like I know, um, I, I realize yeah. the animal companions to other animals is a real mm-hmm. thing, especially when there are expectations put on the animals. But what, would goats be the choice? <laughs> Um, there's actually lots of different animals that serve as companion uh, animals when I looked this up. So if you, there's actually a great video by ESPN 60 or ESPN Go, whatever the that video series is about barnyard. I think it's, they call it like barnyard pals or barnyard buddies or something. Oh, and cool. they talk about like how there's cats, there's pigs, there's goats, there's other like younger horses that will act as companion animals to um, race horses. And it's the funniest thing. Like this one horse had like a pig as a roommate and they were like, it works for them. And they're (laughs) completely opposite personalities. And then the one with the goat, like she was, you know, this male goat was very much in love with his, you know, race horse. And then when she retired, he was really sad. It's like this whole thing is very dramatic. It was very well done. But it, it, I love that video and it was something that stuck with me for years. I mean, that was, I probably saw that video six or seven years ago and I wrote the manuscript probably 
like two years ago now. And it was just one of those stories where I'm like, it just stuck in your head. Um, totally. And I was like, I have to write a story about that because it just, one, it won't leave my brain. But then two, it's just such a cute concept that yeah. it, I feel like totally. it has to have a story about it. We already yeah. workshopped uh, different body parts for Jocelyn Rich a couple of months ago for her <laughs> series. So we'll do nice. that here as well. Okay, yeah. perfect. Thank yeah, you. we totally did. <laughs> We're like writing al- alternate endings to Peanut and Buttercup. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> come on, come on the verse show. Like we'll help you. We'll help you yeah, right. Plot line. session. There's always room for new tropes, new ways yeah, of know? handling picture books yeah, to exactly. confuse children. I mean, that is like a treasure trove of ideas, though. Like, I don't want to I don't want to jinx your book, but like, I feel like a duo like that, right? Like, a, um, like an incongruous duo is like exactly what they want for a series mm-hmm. for like series potential, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I could see these guys doing so many other ridiculous things or like put them in some other weirdo situation. Like, yeah. that would be so fun. I would love I would love a series because you can get to, you can really get into like the character and then just mm-hmm. place them wherever. I feel like that would be a dream. Like just really develop these like crazy worlds around this like really strong character. That would be so well, fun. Let's hope my editor feels the same way. I mean, if your editor, we'll give him a shout out. Like, hey, yeah, right. I love this book. Hey, Callie. Callie yeah. Did you hear that? <laughs> if, if your editor feels the same way to the extent that this sells, we'll just redact this entire section. It'll just be one long, long beep. Yep. Just to just to protect your IP. It'll be one long obnoxious beep like they do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they'll think that I was swearing. They'll be like, isn't she a children's book author? Why is yeah, that right. happening? <laughs> we, right. we get she's prior military, too. but good yeah, grief. Right. Can you tone it down for the kids? <laughs> right. This whole thing is backfiring. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, let's. Let's circle back to Rainbow Baby because I got okay. totally sidetracked on the book that is not even out yet, which I which sounds so super cute. I'm really excited to read it. Thank you. <laughs> but do you want to tell us a little bit about Rainbow Baby? I mean, I know the premise, so, you know. Yeah, sure. So, uh, absolutely. Uh, so Dear Rainbow Baby came out on August 22nd, which was not only my Rainbow Baby's second birthday, but it was also National Rainbow Baby Day. Which Oh my gosh, stop it. For real? For real. What are the odds? That's so cool. Well, so the book was supposed to be published. It was going to be published in spring. And then there were a little bit of, you know, some delays that went, uh, that happened earlier in the year. So when we were looking at a new date in the summer, I said, well, why don't we think about August 22nd because of, you know, all the, the hoopla around that. And then also it being my, my daughter's birthday and she's the person for whom I wrote the book. And so I thought that that would be really cool. And I guess what's funny about that is I didn't realize on the day she was born that it was Rainbow Baby Day. I had some other things that I was concerned with that day. Right. Um, yeah, that's something it wasn't. Yeah, about. I was a little busy, but um, it wasn't until her first birthday that my mother-in-law actually was like, did you know that today's Rainbow Baby Day? And I was like, get out of town. Like, how is that possible? That's so cool. I'd, li- I'd love to say that I I planned that, but of course... I have nothing to do with it. Right. We do another. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we workshop the ending to your book. Let's workshop the publication date for your other book. I know. <laughs> okay. Another take also, where it was very intentional. Out how to choose your due date? Like, let people know because that. I, mean, I know. That, right? Yeah. You, could, you know, then you're. It set. involves some incense, <laughs> standing on your head, and spinning around in circles about four times. But Ooh. make sure you do it counterclockwise and not clockwise because then you'll delay it a week. Oh snap! <laughs> but, people have been doing it wrong. Everybody listen. Follow me for more tips. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, so the book is, you know, like like you mentioned earlier, it's a little bit more somber in nature, but it really, it came about when I was, I had a miscarriage in 2019 and 
following that, I was kind of a mess and wanted to just kind of write my emotions out, you know, as writers, as people who are creative, sometimes just writing things down can help you kind of move through things. And so I was writing, 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 and um, kind of working through everything that comes with that. I mean, you're, you're sad and you're like mad and just all these emotions. And I feel like I had to kind of get through all of that in order to make it to the title of the book, which is Dear Rainbow Baby, because at the time we didn't know if we were going to have another baby, if we could have another baby. But I wrote Dear Rainbow Baby and started writing a letter to this child that wasn't even you know, around or conceived or anything. And as I wrote this letter, it kind of brought me to a spot where I was still grieving, but I was hopeful and I wasn't so caught up in kind of the melancholy emotions that came along with the miscarriage. And so it helped me just look forward and be hopeful for the future rather than being kind of stuck in in my grief. And so um, I won't say that that ended my grieving process, but it certainly helped because you had, I had something to look forward to potentially. And, um, and it turned out that we uh, got pregnant the next year. And then I'm not kidding with this timing either. So I found out about the offer publication about a week or two before her due date. Um, oh my and so gosh. She was born and on Rainbow Baby Day and, you know, the book was underway. So it was just one of those things that uh, you can't plan it any better, even if you tried. And <laughs> it yeah. was, yeah, just really fortuitous circumstances. So um, I think that well, I hope that when people read the book, if they have the situation themselves, that they will also find it hopeful and comforting. And, you know, unfortunately, it's it's a rather common situation, but certainly it doesn't feel common if you go through it yourself. It's a very uniquely personal and, and painful experience. And so mm-hmm. I just hope that the book will not only get folks to talk, to talk about it more, but then also for those individuals who experience it to, to not feel so alone in the in the experience. So... Did you have conversations around the what feels like crude when you talk about the thesis or the reason that the book exists around the marketing of the book? The fact that it's it's kind of like a like a specific use case book, mm-hmm. um, like you might see like sp- specific holiday books that are only for a certain day and then mm-hmm. n- no other. Uh, what what was that conversation like? To be honest, Josh, and it's interesting you brought that up because I felt kind of slimy when I went to go market the book, Mm. right? Because my target audience is people who have been through a miscarriage or stillbirth. Right. And I want to be very sensitive to that because I don't want to be like, oh, have you had a miscarriage? Here's a great book for you. Like that's, we don't want to be salesy with it, right? (laughs) Like that's terrible. Um, Selling your book anyway feels, selling anything that you've created feels kind of slimy, but I I mean, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. Like, yeah. But for this particular audience, I was like, that's just, that's not what I would have wanted. Like right after that happened, I wouldn't want someone being like, Hey, check out this great (laughs) book. Um, So when I thought about it though, I was like, well, if I do it in a very delicate way and like an understanding way, the the benefit to helping or to marketing this book is that people who might need it or might want it will find it. And so when I tried to reframe it from that perspective, I was like, well, yeah, it feels kind of icky, but at the same time, there really is no other way to get people to find it. And so the ways in which I marketed and, and publicized the book were going through organizations that help people through this type of situation. So like- Smart. Um, 
Yeah, the Pregnancy After Loss Support Group online, um, you can find them on their website. They, you know, they actually hosted my book launch. And so we, I did my book launch through them on their Instagram live account. And do you do you have their, is there, is it just that name? I just want to, I want to make sure to link that in our show notes so that we can, you yeah. know, help to like, you know, get it out there. So just, I just want to double check that we get it right. Yeah, it's um, pregnancyafterlosssupport.org. So PATHOS okay. is their acronym. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Thank you. We'll, we'll yeah, put sure. that in. Okay, brilliant. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I did some work with them. And then the Colette Louise Foundation is a similar organization that helps. And so they're, they're going to publish a, a blog post that I wrote for them um, in the next couple of weeks. And then, so I tried to make it so that the marketing was kind of inherent to that organization's goal already, which is to help. And so doing things like that made it feel less salesy and less icky. Totally. Yeah. And potentially, I mean, I don't know, I don't know the path to get the book in the hands of people that could use it through those groups, but you know, through other nonprofit means that is a way to use nonprofit funds to get the books in the hands of people low or no cost, presumably. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, I just, I just want to say it's like, what an important book that is, especially, I mean, anytime, but especially in the current like political climate, right? I mean, this is, I'm not going to go down a political rabbit hole on our podcast because it's not what it's for, but I mean, I feel like it's, uh, it's such an important topic right now. Like people are out there going through this, you know, these really horrendous, like awful emotional issues and you know they're they're being either overlooked or they're being told that you know they're doing something wrong and it's not it's not anybody's fault and that just adds you know a whole nother layer of you know all of the emotional stuff that you're going through so having this book out there I mean I I just thank you so much you know for writing it for everybody who you know might need it or who doesn't know about it or Mm -hmm. you know like this is a book too that might even get in the right hands of somebody who doesn't quite understand it and it might change their minds a little they might you know see it from a different perspective I just it's a really important book so I'm so glad that it's out there and that it's you know in the right hands of these nonprofits that will help yeah. yeah. And I just hope that it helps to bring awareness as well, because um, to be honest, I hadn't even t- heard of the term rainbow baby until it happened to me. And um, it was just something I wasn't really e- even cognizant of. I mean, my first pregnancy, I won't say that it was easy, but it certainly didn't end up, you know, the way of, of uh, having a miscarriage. And so I was a little bit naive to the statistics and how you know common this is. And you know, and I'm a runner and I'm pretty fit. And I was like, oh, that, you know, that stuff doesn't happen to me. Like, you know, that would totally just, yeah. And so, and then after my first pregnancy, I was like, oh yeah, see, like this stuff is, you know, it's, it's easy. Like you, you know, it just right. happens. Um, and then, wow, what a, wow, what a wake up call to realize that it doesn't matter how healthy you are. You know, if, um, if there's something wrong, then, you know, your body kind of helps you take care of that. And so I just didn't, didn't even think about it. It wasn't even a thought. I mean, and I think what's, so strange is my husband and I had that conversation early on when we first found out that we were pregnant and he was like, well, do you want to, do you want to tell people? And I was like, yeah, of course I do. And he's like, well, are you sure? Cause you know, they say to wait and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Mm -hmm. what's the worst thing that can happen? You know? And, and, and I remember telling him, well, if something happens, I would want the support of my friends and family who we've told, because I think it's such, I think that the the worst advice is to tell people to wait because Mm. why would you want to isolate them in this experience because a miscarriage could occur wouldn't, I mean, to me, you would want 
your closest friends and family to know so that something, if something happens, God forbid, then you have that support system to rely on. And, and frankly, I'm glad that I did because my, my in-laws were really supportive. My best friend was very supportive. And had I kept that to myself, you just perpetuate that feeling of isolation and loneliness when there really doesn't have to be that. Um, And so for me, it was just, I was really glad to have that support. And even if it was done kind of naively, because I didn't think anything would happen, I'm still glad that I, I told them and that we had that support. And so um, to anyone listening, I just, you know, take that for what it's worth. I hope that that's helpful. Um, but then it certainly framed my second, my third pregnancy very differently because I was very hyper aware of everything that could happen and go wrong. And um, I think that that experience is, it was markedly different from my first one. Did you make the same decision your third time around? I did. Yeah, I okay. did. No I, I wanted, yeah. yeah, I wanted to have that support again if something happened because I just didn't want to, I didn't want to have to deal with that on my own with yeah. you know, my husband. So, you know, it's I, intensely personal. Yeah. It is. And it's, you know, of course, a personal choice, but I would just say that 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 experience can be so isolating already because you don't know how to talk about it with others. And frankly, others don't know how to respond either because unlike when you lose, you know, uh, a family member or someone that's a little bit older, um, you, and there's, there's memories to look back on and there's situations where you can remember that person when you have a miscarriage that you don't, you don't have those memories. All you have is this idea that of a potential for this person to come to be. So what you're, what you lose out on is all the potential things that could have happened, all that, those hopeful things that you had planned in your head, even if you tried not to think forward to that, you know, your baby's first, you know, day at kindergarten and like holding their hand and kissing them, you can't help but dream of those things when you're pregnant with, with a baby. And so when you have a miscarriage, the, that all that potential is like snuffed out. And that is what's so difficult to reckon with because Mm -hmm. you're grieving like an idea almost, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it, um, it's different. Yeah. And you can't even, because that idea, because they're not, you know, they weren't a full person to have flaws and, you know, to, mm-hmm. to be the obnoxious toddler and to like sit <laughs> on the floor. Right. You can't even, it's just an ideal. Like we mm-hmm. recently lost our family dog. Right. And so that was really hard. And I'm trying, we try really hard not to idealize her too much because I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, she would have loved the beach. This would be so great. And I was like, and then I'm always like, she would also would have been a big pest. Like she also <laughs> would have been trying to like eat all our food. She also would have been like, you know, tic-tacking up and down the stairs. She also would have knocked my parents over. You know what I mean? We're trying to just like temper it with a little bit of reality. So I don't go down that, you know, idealistic rabbit hole. And I'm just like, so forlorn and just, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So you can't even... I guess my point is like with, with a, with a baby. Yeah. You can't even, you don't even have like the option to sort of temper it a little bit with the reality because you're right. It's all potential. It's all this like wonderful, awesome, tiny little baby that could, you know, they, they can't do any wrong. They're like too tiny to do it. And you just, yeah, you don't even get the option to be annoyed, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And especially if it's your, if it's your first baby, you know, you really don't know like what comes with the territory. I mean, I I guess from that perspective, I, I, I was kind of lucky because I'm like, well, I mean, you know, I know the challenges of having a child and maybe it's not the right time. I don't know, but um, yeah, when it's your first baby, I imagine it's, it's a lot harder to reckon with because you don't know what you're missing out on. And it feels like very final. I mean, for me, it was like, well, if we can't have another baby, then we have our son and that's okay. Like that's, 
that's totally fine. But um, certainly, I think if it's your first baby, that's that's got to be really hard. Um, and my heart goes out to to those people who have experienced that. To talk about another permutation of how this goes or how families cope with this, I, this is kind of a personal question. You don't have to answer it if you're not comfortable, but you seem to be pretty comfortable in talking about it. Uh, do you do you talk to your son and daughter about the second, however you characterize it, your second pregnancy or what what would have been their middle sibling? Mm, not quite yet, just because my son is four and my daughter is two. Mm. And so... I think, yeah, as they get older, I think we will have that conversation with them. Um, It's also, it's kind of weird because I think we'd only really plan to have two children. And so we're lucky that we do have our two. And so I don't, I guess for their understanding, it might be helpful for them to to get it. But I, I don't know if there's really much benefit in telling them that since there are two of them. I don't know. I guess I, I, my answer is to say, yeah, I think we will, but I'm just not sure yet. I've got a nine-year-old and a five-year-old and they seize on weird ideas and (laughs) fixate on things and don't understand. So totally, totally understand. Yeah. It's a very, it's a fine line. Yeah. But also, I mean, the book is for my daughter, Kayla, and Dear Rainbow Baby is a pretty specific title. And, you know, I imagine, you know, kids are curious and then they say, well, what is a rainbow baby? And so from that perspective, I think that would open up the conversation, which I honestly, I guess I'd only just thought about it now is (laughs) another reason (laughs) to have the book around is uh, it kind of helps you talk through that and help children understand. Yeah. Introduce it as a concept. Look at you guys. This is like, this should be renamed the brainstorming podcast. You guys are... (laughs) The best We're just contributing ideas. verses to your books and marketing. That's all. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's, that's perfect. perfect. Thank you. <laughs> I was going to say that though, because so my, my son is five and, you know, with like last year and all the stuff in the news, like the school shootings, for instance, right? Like we would listen to the news in the morning and he would have questions and he'd be like, what are you guys talking about? Like what's going on? And we, we talked to him about this stuff in very broad terms, but mm-hmm. I always, you know, I always feel like yeah, I'll, you know, I want you to know what's going on. I want you to be aware of like things in the world. We're not going to try to, you know, isolate you, but this book in particular, right? Like if we picked it up and we were reading it, yeah, he would have questions. And so I Mm -hmm. think it's a great conversation starter. And again, I would talk to him about it in, you know, like broad terms that he would Mm -hmm. understand, not so much like, you know, the nuances of like, you know, what went on and how it happened and whatever, you know, he went down that route, but like, you know, Josh's nine-year-old might have more questions, more in-depth questions, right, than like my five-year-old, but you can talk to it at any level, which Mm -hmm. I think is just incredible. It's a great, it's a great way to open that door and to also be like a book of comfort for people who have gone through it. So, well, and and also if you have a friend or a family member that has, who has been through this and you don't know what to say or, you know, what to do when they have, you know, if they have their rainbow baby and you don't, you know, there's, I feel like it's a really good gift that both acknowledges the loss, but then also celebrates, you know, the new life because um, in the earlier versions of the book, it was, it was a lot more backward focused. It was a lot more focused on, you know, the sadness and the grief and, and the editor was like, that's important, but you know, for something that's going to be read to, to children, you know, it might make more sense if you think more about, the audience, which is the child and, you know, maybe bringing the story more to life for them. And so uh, later in the revisions, it was, you know, we still acknowledge the kind of 
the sadder parts of the story, but then the majority of the book now is more about the, the looking forward and, you know, celebrating the new baby. And so, um, I think when, when parents read it to their rainbow babies, it's, you know, it's just a really, I think it, it draws the line really nicely. And then Tim Lange's illustrations are just remarkable. He did an amazing job with those. And I just, it, seeing those come to life was absolutely spectacular. He, yeah, they feel really heartfelt. Job. Yeah. Yeah. He, he yeah. was amazing. Um, when I show up, when I was shown the sketches, I just was floored. And then when the full color illustrations came in, it was it was a, it was an incredible moment. I'm, I'm curious. This is a process question more than Mm -hmm. anything, but I'm curious as you characterize it. I mean, if you shift from early versions of the manuscript being kind of backwards looking and focusing on dealing with the grief to what is essentially, um, you know, the first portion dealing with what has happened and then you pivot to okay, well, now now this new baby has happened and you're a blessing in our life and all that. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big shift. Um, yeah. Was uh, you, you obviously sold the early version that focused on grief. I'm just curious about pulling that apart in terms of what attracted the editor to the manuscript in terms mm-hmm. of it, it dealing with a subject matter um, that was really sensitive and important and not very well represented. Mm-hmm. P- uh, the process of pivoting the manuscript pretty significantly to focus on a different aspect. Oh, shoot. Again, I interrupted (laughs) the latter part of my question. No, Um, I I think I get where you're coming from, though. For sure. Um, So Callie and I did an interview. She's the editor, um, Callie, out of um, Clear Fork Publishing. And in the interview, she says that she also went through a miscarriage. And I, I prefaced it with saying that it was an interview because I don't want to give away anything that she doesn't feel comfortable sharing. Sure. Um, so she, you know, that happened to her as well. And granted, she said it was several years ago. I think her son is, you know, in his teens now. And, but even for her that, you know, so many years later, it was still an experience that she vividly remembers and, you know, understands. And so I think she was attracted to the manuscript because she hadn't seen a book about that um, before and wanted, and wanted to explore that topic. And so I think it was more to do with, and I can't speak for her necessarily, but I know that she was interested in the topic just to bring it to life within a picture book. And so I think the pivoting was helpful because when you think about the audience for a picture book, you know, sometimes it's the parents, if you're, you know, thinking about more of like a gift book or, you know, things that you might, give to parents, but I I think we wanted to try and bridge the gap more between it being for parents, but also for the child. And so Mm -hmm. when you think about how to write a manuscript like this for a child, it should be focused more on them and like the, the blessings, like you said, that, that they are. And, and so I don't think it was really, I don't think it was a tough sell, if you will, to, to shift it in that way, because (laughs) when I, when we thought about it, it was like, well, right now the the audience is really primarily for the parents and parents are going to read this to their kids, but it's not really for the kids. So by opening the aperture a little bit, it's like, you're going to reach more people with this. If we shift it a little bit to be more for the, for the children. So um, I think given that picture books are bought by parents, right there, there's that consideration, but then you do want it to be engaging for the children as well. And so, um, yeah, I think it worked out really well. And I think the the edits are work nicely for the book and it just broadens that audience a little bit more to make it more personal for the kids listening to it. Yeah. Did did changing the focus that way to make it, you know, less about the the 
back end, like the process of it and, you know, the grief part and sort of opening it up to the more hopeful ending. Um, was that helpful for you too? Was that like ca- kind of cathartic to sort of like you I know, think pivot so. and shift that way? Yeah, I think so because it was acquired, you know, like I said, like a week or two before my due date. And so I had the, you know, I had my rainbow baby. And so I think it was easier to look forward, you know, having, having my daughter um, kind of with me. And so, so yeah. And so when I looked back at the early versions, I was like, oh yeah, I can definitely see where it would be more uplifting if we focus more on the rainbow baby themselves and not just, you know, for the sake of when it's, bought by the parents but also just for the sake of the story it it makes more sense for it to be forward-looking and then and then yeah for me it was you know when you go back to a manuscript after you haven't looked at it for a while and you're like oh wow like I need to make some changes um having a little bit of space and distance between the original and the edits and having my rainbow baby in the meantime I think was really helpful our customary review break remember how important it is to add your verse to an author's poem by reviewing their work especially if you like it this week brenna's throwing me a curveball now that i'm reviewing the text brenna reviewed underwear written and illustrated by jen harney it's cleaver as written chucklesome and pun splittingly hilarious and yes i made that word up partly to mess with josh whose turn it is to edit this week and also because this book is next level wordplay and thus deserves its own word the title says it all underwear it's about bears and the text evolves from there see what i did it was nowhere near as poetic or graceful as jen's work in this book though so what are you waiting for read that book As for me, a few words regarding author-illustrator Kristen Wasson's debut picture book, Mr. Thatcher's House, that came out uh, just a couple of months ago. Out of the mouths of babes, the first thing I have to note is that every time my five-year-old and I read this book, she remarks, whoever made this book draws rabbits really good. Which is an understatement, as Kristen's attention to detail isn't limited to logomorphs, but to joints and joists that become the house in question, and to the witches and bears that become its occupants. Young and old alike love to see a grumpy protagonist set up to be frustrated only to have their heart warmed in the end. Solid recommend. And now, back to our conversation. I wanted to circle back just just a little bit to when you mm-hmm. were saying, um, you know, when you first get pregnant and they're like, oh, like, don't tell anyone until, you know, X amount of weeks or whatever to make sure it, like, it sticks or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. they're, like, making sure it's, like, actually in there. Um and you you were saying no, like you know, do the opposite so you can tell people and you can like celebrate. And then if you if it happens to be a miscarriage, then you have that support. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's so important on the other end too, because if you do have the miscarriage and you didn't tell anybody, now you have to tell people not only that you were pregnant, but now that you're not pregnant. And so it's like a double whammy. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people, especially like I said, in you know the the climate of today are, you know, they don't want to tell people like they, they want to keep it to themselves. They want to keep that a secret and for a myriad of reasons, you know, not just, not just for those, you know, the bigger ones, but, um, I wanted to say like having this book out there and having the opportunity to talk about it, I think is so important for that reason too, because Mm -hmm. keeping those things a secret will just like eat you up, you know, it, letting it out takes all the power away. So sort of talking about it and telling people, even though it's difficult and it's hard, this is a great like talking piece or like a way into that conversation, which could kind of like free you a little bit from, Mm -hmm. you know, having to deal with it. Yeah, exactly. 
and, and even just, you know, having it on your shelf, um, kind of, if, if you have someone over, for example, and they don't know, it's like they might notice that and kind of put it together for themselves without you having to be explicit about yeah, it. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I would say that as well that, so I did tell, you know, my closest friends and family about everything that had happened, but, you know, people that I didn't know so well, like the neighbors we had at the time, it was like, oh, well, you know, are you guys, you know, those, those seemingly mm. innocent questions that you're like, uh, I don't really want to get into that. Like, right. oh, aren't you guys, aren't, you know, is Jake going to get a brother or sister anytime soon? And I was like, oh, well, you know, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you go, well, oh I, I gotta, I gotta go. Sorry. Yeah, right. <laughs> What? Get the mail. Somebody's calling me. Yeah, I think Jake needs uh, to get an ice cream or something. Right, but... somebody somewhere said my name. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I uh, broader context. Um, Dear Rainbow Baby is not your debut, but you had your what I understand to be your debut was also what I think is a kind of a personal account. Um, mm -hmm. Honor flight, right? Yeah. Yeah, was That's your debut. Right. I think didn't didn't come out to I don't have the dates of publication um in front of me, but um I don't think it came out too too far ahead of uh Dear Rainbow Baby, right? That's correct. You, yeah, it came out on the educational market with Benchmark um in the summer. I don't know the exact date truthfully cuz they had it on their website, but I wasn't sure if it was out out or not. But um no, Honor Flight is is a very personal book as well and um for you know, the audience who may or may not know, I was active duty for eight years in the Air Force, and I served as a special operations navigator. And when I left the Air Force in 2016, my husband and I were stationed at LA Air Force Base, and we had the opportunity to go to Los Angeles International Airport and do an honor flight send off. And you know, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but I didn't, I hadn't heard of that organization until we were invited to go and do this send off. And I read about up on it before we went and, you know, understood that the mission of the organization is to fly veterans, you know, from wherever they live to the memorials in DC so that people who otherwise wouldn't have a chance to go and see them get a chance to, you know, look at the World War II memorials, the Vietnam memorials, the Korean War memorials, et cetera. And so this send-off was incredible. We got to the airport really, really early in the morning. I want to say it was like 5.30 or 6 because the flight to DC was early. And um, inside the terminal, there were probably a group of 20 or 30 World War II veterans. And so, of course, these gentlemen are, you know, they're very old and they are, um, they're very delicate and they, and many of them had you know, people to help them, you know, they have guardians that fly with them who are volunteers who actually go with the vets to, to, to take them through the memorials. And we had an opportunity to, to chat with some of them, you know, while they were waiting for their flight. And so my husband was in his uniform and so they, they, you know, of course wanted to, to chat with him, but, um, you know, I quickly got to kind of establish myself as well as someone who had, had served and was talking with some of the, the gentlemen. And it was, it was so cool because, um, it, their their service is incredible. They served during a time when you were not guaranteed to come back. the The fatality rates for flyers was insane. I mean, certainly a lot more dangerous for them than it was for me to be flying around in a war zone. Um, and so, but even given that, even given how incredible their stories were, they wanted to talk about me and what I had done, and you know the the. The missions that I had flown on, which was so humbling because I couldn't, I can't imagine how hard it was for, for, you know, bomber crews and fighter crews to be flying during World War II when no kidding, there's 
fighters that are trying to shoot you down and, you know, just an incredible amount of, of ground fire as well. And for them to want to know about my story, I, I was floored. I was like, that's, that's crazy. Um, and also knowing the, the mission of honor flight was to take them to these memorials that were stood up for them to forever memorialize their service during world war II. I mean, wow, <laughs> that's, it, it was amazing. And um, kind of a funny story related to that was while we were in the terminal, the uh, the organizers were like, hey, you know, we really want to play the national anthem, you know, before the these veterans get on their flight. But they didn't have uh, like a copy of it or a version of it. And the airport's like, yeah, we don't we don't have that. And so they were asking around like, hey, can anybody sing the national anthem for the veterans before they get on the flight? And keep in mind, it's like 630 or 7 a.m. by this point. Mm-hmm. And I am a yeah, I, I do sing. And so my husband's like, hey, Sam can do it. And I was like, ah, like, what? No. Um, and like, really, could you? And I was like, well, I mean, I, I can. I'm not warmed up. I, you know, sure, I guess. Like, OK. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so I'm in L.A., you know, terminal in the international terminal or sorry. Yeah. In the domestic terminal. And um, they're like, OK, well, go ahead. And so they like announced me like, and here is Samantha Gassman to sing the national anthem. And I was like, oh. OK, so I've got like, you know, the the like the little the PA or whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The PA thank you. I'm like trying to do it with my hands, but your audience won't see that. Um, yeah. The PA <laughs> microphone that they use to announce, you know, flight cancellations. And I just started singing the national anthem and wow. wow I'm really glad I didn't mess up the words that time. Uh, I'm, well, I haven't, but uh, I was really glad that I didn't that time. And gosh, like these, you know, these veterans were just looking at me and those who could stand were standing with their hands over their oh, hearts wow. and saluting. And I was like, Oh, wow. So based on that experience, <laughs> I wrote Honor Flight, you know, which has the same title as the organization. And in the story, it's about a girl named Mackenzie who has a very close relationship with her papa, who served as a Marine in World War II in Guadalcanal. And he's um, he kind of talks a little bit about a buddy of his, Danny, who you know, died during the war. And he basically, it's the story of him and Mackenzie going to the memorials, but then also kind of reflecting on Danny and his life. And, you know, Mackenzie sees that he um, gets very emotional when they stand next to the South Dakota column, which is where in the story Danny is from. And uh, it's just a very touching moment between, you know, a granddaughter and her grandfather. And it's, for me, it was a salute and a nod to the greatest generation and um, just their service and sacrifice because the things that they did really, in my, in my opinion, pale in comparison to the things that I did as a service member. And it's just ah, a really incredible experience. And I'm so glad that that organization exists. You you had to sing on an airport PA though, I which did. is quite the hardship. <laughs> and I'm did. glad you I'm glad you breezed right by right by that because I was going to ask you to just redo that moment and sing. Oh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, I get it's funny my husband because I've I've sung at like retirement ceremonies before, but usually they're planned in advance. And so because my husband knows that I can do that, he's always volunteering me for stuff like that. He was like, throw hey. you under the bus. Oh yeah, they're like, hey, we need someone to sing at you know this upcoming uh, promotion ceremony. And he's like, oh, my wife will do it. I'm like, dude, stop! Like, I can and I will, but really, <laughs> come on. I have to acknowledge, um, 
a, a similar moment or a similar guest. We had Amanda Eshkarmir on to talk mm. about an intensely personal book that she had published, uh, mm. only to learn that she also sang, but in a barbershop quartet, which takes a little bit of the pressure off. Oh, wow. yeah, yes, well, some symmetry of. there. Yeah, yeah a little so bit, except so in a barber. In a barbershop quartet, you're right, a little bit of the pressure's off, but if you mess up your harmony, people will know that it's you. Um, I I don't know that we've talked to anybody that's sold to the educational market on this podcast before. Did you have that in mind? When you wrote oh. this or when you talked to your agent or sold it or nothing? No, no, this was actually before I was agented and I had submitted it to um, uh, Wiley Blevins at Raycraft and okay. who I credit as being the sole reason why I'm published at all. So thank you, Wiley, for taking a chance on me. He, I submitted it to Raycraft and he loved it and he took it to acquisitions there at you know that publishing house. And you know the other folks in the room said, yeah, we like it too, but we think it's more it's more appropriate for Benchmark, which is their sister company, the educational company. And so he kind of, he was like, he came back to me and said, Hey, how would you feel about like a work for hire agreement versus a traditional publishing contract with Benchmark? And at that time I wasn't published at all. And I was like, yeah, I will do whatever. Yeah. Right. You're Um, like, yes, yes, yes. Whatever it is. Yes. (laughs) And so I worked with another editor and she was responsible for bringing this book to life in the educational market. And so it was a work for hire agreement, which is a little bit different. It's like a one-time, you know, fee that you were paid and then it, you know, whatever, however the book does, it does. Um, And it's only on the school and educational market, which is still really cool. And um, was my kind of my first foot in the door. And so um, like I said, I just big thanks to Wiley and I hope to work with him again on like a, on a commercial facing book at some point, but yeah, it was a little bit different process, but it was such a joy to see that book come together as my first like real publication. Yeah. And again, the illustrator, um, Franco Rivoli did an amazing job. And what I really appreciate about him was knowing that I served in the military, although not in the Marine Corps, they were very diligent about making sure that everything was correct. So like, in the background of one of the spreads, there's like um, like a shadow box of, you know, this gentleman's medals and some oh, of his, cool. you know, artifacts. And they were like, you know, would this be an appropriate thing to have? Like, would he have, like, what medals would he have from that time period? And so they, they were really diligent about just making sure that it was as accurate as possible, which I appreciate because, That's cool. you know, it's like when you watch a military movie, I'm like, that would never happen. They would play it. <laughs> like, <laughs> they were very intentional with that. So I appreciated it. You don't want to read a picture book and then grumble about how wrong it is. <laughs> right. Like, and so, and even with the memorials in DC, I mean, he must have looked at lots of pictures to see kind of the spacing and how it looks and um, just where things are relative to each other. Because as they pull up on this bus, you can see the Washington Monument out the window, which if you've been to DC, like, you know, that that's kind of, that would happen. And then similarly at the World War II Memorial, you know, he was just really good about um, showing things as they are within the spread. So he did an amazing job and I just credit to him and also to Benchmark for making sure that it was accurate. That's awesome. Do yeah. the do the honor flight people know about this book? Like, have you been? Yeah, yeah. I I emailed them, and um, yeah, they are aware of it. I, again, because it's on the educational market, I'm I'm not so sure how like purchasing would work for them, but yeah, they okay. know about it, and they they were pretty thrilled um, to know about it. So it was cool. That's very cool. I have I have a friend whose grandpa did was on was part of an honor flight. Oh, and, nice. Yeah, and I remember she did this whole thing. Um, Because her son is about the same age as my son. And she did this whole thing 
um, putting out, you know, a call to all of her friends and their kids, like, would you like to, you know, write a picture for them or like draw a picture for them or like Mm -hmm. write something to like go along for the honor flight. And before that, I didn't know anything about it either. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's so cool. Yeah, of course, we'd love to be, you know, a part of that to like, you know, make it as special as possible. But that's, yeah, it's very cool. I'm glad the book is out there. So people know about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's an incredible organization and that experience will will live with me forever because it was yeah. it was amazing. Um when I was active duty I had kind of not with honor flight but I had an experience where I was I got to escort a World War II veteran onto Hurlburt Air Force Base or Hurlburt Air Base um for a Veterans Day event. And so this is while I was active so I had my my service dress uniform on and I went to his house to go and pick him up because I was going to bring him on base and again, it was one of the situations where he like looked at my, my medals and he was like, Oh, he's like, wow, you've got three air medals. And I was like, yeah. Um, but you know, the, the requirements for that are a little different than what it was for you because he was a world war II flyer and he had his shadow box up in his house. And I was like, well, I see that you have air medals as well. And I'm like, just so you know, I mean, the requirements are a bit different. And I felt like an imposter being in that gentleman's house because he was like so impressed with I didn't this, do what you, know. you did. Right. Yeah. yeah I'm like, right. I, he's like, wow. He's like, and you know, it's funny too, like the generational difference. He's like, wow. So are, are you a flight attendant? And I was like, well, no, sir. I'm, I'm actually a navigator. And he's like, oh, wow. He's like, I didn't realize that, you know, they let women do that. And I was like, yeah. And, um, right. they do, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they do gosh. a little bit. Yeah. And, um, it was just so cool. Um, oh, just getting sweet. to chat with him. Uh, yeah, it was just amazing. So, uh, I, I have definitely a soft spot in my heart for, you know, any veterans who serve, but especially World War II, because there's so few of them now. And what they did was so amazing. And it just, like I said, my service just pales in comparison to everything that they did. So very humbling experience, both on a flight and then meeting this gentleman as well. Yeah. I have to acknowledge and bring it full circle what what a, a hard left turn and like breath of comedic fresh air peanut and buttercup is in the context <laughs> now that we've talked about the breadth of honor flight and dear rainbow right? baby what a, what a what a what a thing that is um how wh- what was the transition from honor flight to uh to being agented like you are you're one of the unique people that were you were presumably able to approach agents and say i got a book you can't buy it but i've got a book out does that help the process along? Mm, uh, not really, um, because it was because it was it's an hard no matter what. <laughs> yeah, it's right. hard regardless, um, because you still whatever manuscript you're pitching still has to be good enough for them to pick it up. And I will say that um, uh, I don't remember the exact timeline now, but I had an agent before I had my current agent, and we had only signed for one project. It was mm. called. Artichoke karaoke. And it oh, was awesome. To... Where is that book? <laughs> I need that book in my experience. life. Yeah, right. It was never acquired, you guys. It was never acquired. It was Ooh. it was rejected by 30 publishing houses, Ooh. large and small. I know. And uh, it was never acquired. So because of that, my first agent and I had to split because it was project-based representation. And she's actually no longer in the industry anyways. Hmm. And so I can't remember if honor flight was during that time as well. Or if I think I pitched it on my own, I want to say Raycraft had like an open submission or something. I don't remember, but no, I mean, it, it didn't really help. I'm afraid. Mm. Uh, And so I wish I could have some golden nugget of wisdom for those of you who are still on your agent hunt (laughs) or search. Um, But yeah, I would, 
it, querying trenches are hard. I acknowledge yeah. that. I'm yeah. I know it's the, especially difficult now. Well, what's funny is that the the nugget would have been uh, get a book published, and then you, yeah, they'll help you get an agent so you can get a book published. Right? Yeah, right. it's just, it's easy. Just go that route. It's way easier but, to publish a book and then get an agent than just kind of get an agent. So right. But I will say, I feel that, like that might be true. But any publishing credit that you have, and it doesn't have to be on the educational market. If you are writing for magazines, for you know, especially kids related magazines, highlight, you know, Ladybug, etc. Anything that shows that you are dedicated to your craft, I feel gives you a leg up, um, yeah. you know, because agents, especially they get so many queries from so many people that are like, oh, I've written a cute story, like send it to an agent. And they haven't done any research on the children's book industry and they don't totally. know about SCBWI and they don't know that you can. Submit that was to Josh and I. Yeah. When we first started, oh, we well, just, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, a brilliant manuscript and totally. of course editors are going to and I just and on top no of it, right. And on top of it, we both wrote rhymers and we're not rhymers. Of course. So, so of, I mean, of course, right? Yeah. Stumbling and we're like, blindly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I could, yeah, this, this should totally be published. Like, why doesn't anybody want to represent me? And it's like, oh, now I know. Now, now I, I get know. it. Like in retrospect, yes. I'm like the, the rhyming was off, right? Like the plot was like rough. It, yeah. And now you have so much insight, but yeah. So embarrassing that right. I sent that off. So, <laughs> right. but so, but knowing that is actually an advantage to you and your listeners mm-hmm. because, you know, agents will say like 80% of people are in that camp where they just don't know the industry and they are just yeah. sending in, you know, stuff. So if you know better than that, which I'm sure your readers do or your listeners do, cause they're listening to this, um, I would say that, yeah, anything that you can do to differentiate yourself as someone who has done their homework and their research and has publishing, has published something elsewhere, I I do feel like that lends you credibility. Mm -hmm. And even though your manuscript still has to be top notch for them to consider it and represent you, knowing the industry enough to be published elsewhere gives you more experience than others coming off the street. And it also shows the agent that you know what you're doing and you've, you've got some some credibility behind your name. So totally. while it may not help you get an agent, having the experience of publishing elsewhere gives you that edge when it comes to writing your manuscript mm-hmm. because you have done more of your own homework. Yeah. And just the fact that you're willing to show up, you know, that you're dedicated, mm-hmm. like you'll keep showing up through revisions and you'll keep exactly. showing up with like new stuff and new ideas. And like, Cause it's hard to get right? into those magazines. I, I've had a couple pieces rejected and I'm like, but I'm an author. I've got things <laughs> published. And they're like, we don't care. It wasn't good. I'm like, well, okay then. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Like, we, yeah. We're I mean, not interested. <laughs> yeah, not interested. Sorry. And you know, and I, that's why publishing is, uh, you know, it can be a very frustrating industry, but it's all, it also keeps you honest. You know, if you send in crap, it's, oh gosh. it's not going to get picked up. It doesn't matter yeah. who you are. Um, it's very humbling. So it is, <laughs> it is. And, you know, cause I've got, um, I have a couple of other stories on submission right now and I just received a, reje- a rejection for one yesterday and it's like, okay, well, you know, onward and upward, we'll just keep, keep going and yep. hopefully another story will stick. It's um, very humbling industry indeed. <laughs> Yeah. There has to be a future for artichoke karaoke, though. I, I know, so. like, come you on. Know. Who do we need? Is the best title? Who do we need to <laughs> yeah, take right. in this conversation? Who needs to know about artichoke karaoke? Like, we'll do <laughs> it. We'll, we'll, we'll take whoever. All yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> all the editors. Yeah. So I won't throw her under the bus, but there was a particular agent when I was querying that I was trying to get. Yeah. And she said, and people who know this person will recognize it immediately. She said, I'm looking for a karaoke picture, rhyming picture book. <laughs> Oh my gosh, style. are you kidding me? Come on. 
in the style of hip hop lollipop. Okay. What? So, so I read Hip Hop Lollipop, which is an excellent book. I it's really fun. I'm putting and, that on my uh, list. Are you kidding me? Yeah, no. Um, it's spectacular. And and so I was like, I have a great idea about, you know, a little girl and her mom who goes to the grocery store and how this little girl is having like the worst time because it's so boring. And so she decides to start singing and dancing. And then yes. she goes behind the bakery counter and starts making dough and the baker gets really angry. So he like chases her around the store and she's like, salsa and you know, and, and hip hopping around the store. And, you know, and then when she goes to check out, she realizes that everyone else is still dancing and having a great time. So she is like, my work here is done. And that's the basis for artichoke karaoke, which rhymes and it's got like fun rhythm to it. Um, And it was rejected, you know, 30 different times, but um, that's an example of how writing to an agent's MSWL, MSWL does not guarantee representation i mean that is such a specific like that's not just like oh i like fantasy and like books about bedtime that's like very specific like i know that's That's why i was like like, this is a shoe-in it's like writing to spec i mean that is that's crazy i can't believe i can't believe it didn't get picked up like it sounds i know I There's love no it. accounting I for taste. Just, yeah. I mean, the Verse show loves it, Sam. So thank you. Thank I you, mean, guys. I hope that's validated. I appreciate it. Yeah. And then <laughs> some of the editor's comments were like, maybe you should submit it to a magazine. This seems more appropriate for a magazine. So I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. And guess what? It was rejected there too. You know what? It's going to be the name of this conversation, I think. That'll be the name of this podcast <laughs> yeah, right. episode. I think it has to be. <laughs> thank you. Yes, I enjoyed it as well, but unfortunately, um, it will not see the light of day, except for here on this podcast. So thank you. Oh, well, you You're should welcome. have you pull out the we'll the you. manuscript and do a reading. Um, if you're serious, you looking for it. <laughs> um, I'm like, wait a sec, I've got it somewhere. Yes, please. If if you want, if you're chill, still trying to sub it, you know, don't. But I am not trying to sub it. Oh my it god, is, please read it to us. That's a that's a great way to end out the sure. episode. I yeah, love right. this. You guys are the best. Okay, hold on. Okay, are we ready for artichoke karaoke? We are ready. We are ready. Okay, you guys, we need like a beat going. Our segment, our segment, uh, Dead Manuscript (laughs) Society here. Yes, (laughs) I love it. Artichoke karaoke by yours truly, Samantha Gassman. Ready? Ready. Mom and Maddie in the store. Nothing going on. A bore. Just like that, a song comes on, blasting through the intercom. Maddie snaps her finger. Snap. Maddie taps her foot, tip tap, grabs a spoon, starts to croon. It's her karaoke tune. Singing, shopping, get some flour, eggs and sugar, sing with power. Shoppers stop, cans drop, rolling on the floor, pop. Belting every single word, Maddie sings to be heard. Shoppers stare, baker glares. Hey, what are you doing there? Stop your singing, that's enough. I need to make a pastry puff. (laughs) Maddie stops. Maddie stops to mix the batter, drops her spoon, batter splatters. Mama giggles, baker yelps. Maddie shouts, I tried to help. Mama snaps her fingers, snap. Mama taps her foot, tip tap, joins her daughter, harmonizing, clapping, dancing, mesmerizing. Check the list, need some meat. Mom and Maddie slide their feet, grab some turkey, nice and smoky, deli aisle karaoke. (laughs) Covered in the sticky paste, baker chases her with haste. Maddie waltzes round the stake, leaving Baker in her wake. Maddie snaps her finger, snap. Maddie taps her foot, tip tap. Other shoppers tap their feet to the thump, thumping beat. Grab an apple, then some berries, squash and kiwis, ripe red cherries. With a rolling pin in hand, Baker jumps the veggie stand. Maddie gulps, grips her mango. Baker smiles, dances tango. 
Grab some carrots, artichokes, produce aisle, karaoke. Everybody sings and claps, pie tin drum kit, rap tap tap. All the shoppers dance and swoop. Mom and Maddie grab some soup. Throwing tuna in the cart, they know all the words by heart. Belting out the final verse, Mama finds her little purse. Pull into the checkout lane, turn around, it's insane! Everyone is dancing, singing, sliding, clapping, items ringing, bakers grooving, twisters prancing, even managers are dancing. Shoppers smiling, having fun, Maddie's work in here is done. I I love everything about that. That's a great read aloud with the snapping and the tapping and the... Right? Come on, people. If Come you on, want, folks. If you want to represent this, you'll have to go through Sam's agent, and then you will also have to represent um, You May Contribute a Verse. It's a package deal. <laughs> yeah, so. that's right. <laughs> come on, editors. It's yeah, not two slices of words. Come on, folks. I picture I love like, that. All... Thank you for sharing yeah, it. That, yeah, yeah, of course. Thanks that's for a first, and what an absolute delight. I want to make that a Thank real you. thing. Where you, you heard it here first. You heard We're it here first, start reading folks. people's dead manuscripts. That yeah, they love I love it. Yeah, and that we'll is a special... Great title too, the Dead Manuscript Society. That's hilarious. I love it. <laughs> well, Sam, we are creeping up on the edge of, of of the hour. I don't want to keep you for too much longer, but can you tell our audience where to find you? Like where is best to yeah. get a hold of you and follow you? Sure. You can find me on SamanthaGasman.com and I'm also on Twitter at, at SGasmanBooks. I do have a Facebook author page and I'm also on Instagram with the same handle as Twitter. Okay. So you can find me in any of those places. I'm most active on Twitter, but you can find me anywhere. This is an absolute pleasure. Yes. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you for having me. You may contribute a verse. Thanks for listening this week. Find out more about us and our guests and the artists behind their cover and theme music at our websites, verse.show, renegenerate.com, and joshmontgords.com. See you next verse. Bye.